Travels with John Smith, Year One, Chinese New Year Holiday, 2012, Chapter 12, Back in Cambodia. We are shown around Angkor Wat by a young man who says he was a five-year-old orphan when he was brought to the temple 22 years ago and has been raised by the monks here. He is the kind of guide I like. He tells us all the important stuff, shows us where to take a good picture, and is gone in a half an hour. I am not a good tourist. I am afraid I click off after about 40 minutes and cannot retain any more. In Angkor Wat, there are different long flights of worn stone steps to areas of the temple that represent spiritual growth. There are the steps to hell, which are easy and wide, the steps to earth, which are a little harder and a little narrower, and the steps to heaven, which are so small and steep it is almost impossible to climb them, so they have closed the original steps and barricaded them with a sign that says, Access Denied. There are places where you can see bullet holes from when the Khmer Rouge, who occupied the Wat, were attacked by the South Vietnamese forces sometime in the late 70s. We go to the killing fields in Siem Reap, and there is a lot more activity here than there was in the killing fields of Phnom Penh. There is a temple with people praying in it and dwellings with orange pieces of cloth drying on the wash lines outside of where the monks live. There are tombs nearby, and there is also a central glass enclosure area filled with the skulls of the victims of the Pol Pot regime. We want to go to the market in Siem Reap before we catch the bus back to Scenicville tonight. We can't take the aggressive selling techniques of the vendors in the market. I know there are many people trying to sell the same products and why they have to be aggressive and to get noticed and therefore survive, but it is hard to take. We go for dinner in a quiet little back alley in an open-air cafe where we have our favorite types of Khmer food. We are in the middle of dinner, and John points. There's Daryl. Sure enough, there are our bosses from the school. Daryl, the BC school principal, and his wife, Margaret, who has been so wonderful to me. It is a small world. We take the night bus back to Siem Reap, and this time have no problems, apart from a short discussion I have with a rather rude Russian woman who accuses me of making a mess and wrecking her shoes while I am trying to find mine in the pile of 50 pairs of shoes in the shoe vortex cubbyhole at the front of the bus. As always, Dependable Red is there to pick us up and welcome us in the early morning rain. We are very happy to be back in the simple life of going to the beach. Our days continue as they did before, and we are sad to leave. It is our last night in Scenicville, and I am very ill with what feels like food poisoning. Waking up in the middle of the night, needing to rush to the bathroom, horrified 
at the thought of having to kneel on the ground due to both the toilet leaking and the possibility of any bugs coming out in the dead of the night. John throws one of the towels on the ground and leaves the room being the discreet person he is. When I get up, a cockroach runs across the floor away from where I am. I scream and John comes to my rescue and disposes of it. He is, as always, my hero. We find out that a bus ticket from Phnom Penh to Scenicville is $12 each, which is good as we have considerably less money in our pockets compared to the beginning of the trip when we spent $100 for the pleasure of being in a car. We are in the front row of the top deck of the bus traveling to Phnom Penh from Scenicville on a ride which is meant to take four or five hours. It has now been seven hours since we got on the bus. There is a family of four sitting or lying on the hard floor space directly in front of us, which is normally meant for luggage. They do not appear to mind. The children are sitting in front of the large window, excited about the trip. The mother and father are leaning against a metal bar, talking. A young woman is sprawled across the whole area, sleeping, and a young man listens to music on his phone. There are others sitting on the steps leading down to the driver. They got on the bus at various points during the trip, and although there are no seats left, They were not refused the passage. The bottom deck is full of luggage and motorbikes and packages to deliver in Phnom Penh. The road is what I would call a rural highway. It is a single lane with red clay dirt on the shoulder, and though it has a faded line down the middle, it seems to be pretty much ignored as far as the highway code is concerned. When a driver of any vehicle decides they want to pass, they lean heavily on the horn and go, whether there are people coming in the opposite direction or not, whether the line on the road is doubled spaced or not. Thankfully, the road is in need of repair, so traveling at a fast pace is pretty much impossible. Though we have had some close calls as the game of chicken is played out between the bigger trucks and buses. Part of the driving is concentrating on missing the potholes, missing the oncoming traffic, and for the night bus drivers, simply staying awake. We pass through lush tropical scenery, simple houses built on stilts, surrounded by trees with coconuts, dates, mangoes, bananas, and other exotic fruits. There are children playing, brightly colored laundry hanging on the lines outside, and the scrawny white cows casually wandering on and off the roads and into the roadside markets, as if they too are people looking for a bargain. The glimpses we get of the houses are usually similar. A cooking area outside, usually under the house, and always a hammock or two, also somewhere in the shade. Inside the same large wooden raised platforms that Red had in his house are used for everything, sitting, sleeping, etc. 
Some of these houses have a makeshift shop in front where various items are sold. A cooler with cold drinks or gasoline sold in old scotch bottles for the many scooters and motorbikes, the main mode of transportation in this country, as gasoline is expensive and filling the tank of a motorcycle is much cheaper than a car. There are often up to five people riding on the back of these bikes, and unlike China, the driver will have a helmet on, but usually the passengers do not. The passengers include small babies and children, sleeping, nursing, or just hanging on, while the mother or father concentrates on the road. Women in dresses and high heels and or monks in their orange robes ride side saddle and do not appear to be hanging on to anything. They often have surgical masks on to protect them, I imagine, from the dust. We begin to pass trucks and vans coming back from the factories packed with people who cannot afford to live in the city and as there are few jobs in the country have no choice but to commute. There are literally thousands of these vehicles and the term standing room only comes to mind as there are what seems like 30 to 40 people in the back of each truck. Those who are in the middle and have nothing to hang on to are held up by the number of people standing tightly against each other. They have surgical masks on. I do not want to imagine what will happen if the driver has to stop suddenly. The vans are the same, except the back doors are open to allow for more passengers, and some even hang out of the windows or sit and sometimes sleep on the top of the van. We are back in Phnom Penh and, and have been hanging out at local markets. We buy a book that is an autobiography of what it was like to grow up under the Khmer Rouge and meet some Khmer people and hear their stories firsthand. Hearing and reading the stories humbles us and puts us in touch with our gratitude. We have a large terrace in front of our room at the hotel where we can sit and play music. The hotel staff told me I was like Britney Spears, bless. There is construction going on next door, and like China, the workers wear no protective gear. They wear flip-flops and no hard hats, even though they are on the fourth or fifth floor, with spaces between each area they are working on. Even more shocking is their families are cooking or washing clothes and children directly below the site, where anything could fall, and the children are also playing all over the site. We come back from dinner and look out the window to see how they are progressing, and as it is dusk, all the children are up on the roof, playing among the workers. A three-year-old is hammering a nail with the back end of an axe. A five-year-old is skipping close to the edge of the building. We have a tuk-tuk driver we use every day here, too. His name is Tree. He speaks very good English, is very clever, and has been a wonderful guide. He takes us to another wat, a temple, and we take a ferry to an island 
where every house weaves silk on giant looms under their houses. We stop and watch a woman working, and she has some beautiful silk scarves and weaving for sale. We are running out of money, but we buy a couple of things from her. We are waiting for the ferry to go back to the center of Phnom Penh, and there is a woman putting sugarcane stalks through a portable machine, making juice. We buy two drinks for John and I and one for Tree. It is delicious. We have just arrived at the airport. John gives Tree what we have left of our Cambodian money as a tip. I give him the blue guitar, and we say goodbye. Goodbye.